everybody, and welcome to the Work Rate Podcast. This is our AEW review. I am Mike Fenn. I am not joined by Brad Hardcastle this week. Brad is stuck at work, um, unfortunately, so I am going it alone today for the second time in our podcast's history. So uh, this might be a shorter one. Um, I might get a dry throat and have to take a break. We'll see. Um, yeah, so this was... This was this was a another fantastic refer return to form for AW this week. Um, this was the final episode of the Daily's Place pandemic era in Jacksonville. Um, it is nice to be moving on from there, but it, it's almost it's a little bittersweet, and that hit that hit home the most with the tribute video that AW showed at the end of the episode. Um, I'm not going to lie. I did get choked up when watching it. Um, they, they did a great job with that and, uh, leaning as, as heavily as they did on Brody Lee in that video. And they 1000% should have, because he meant a lot to the company. It really hit home. Um, the crazy ride that we've been on for the past year and a half, as far as AEW is concerned. And, um, I thought this episode sent the fans home happy, and I thought that it was a really, really uh, nice thank you to the Jacksonville fans and to Daly's Place for hosting them for a year and a half. Um, okay, so let's get right into our first match. This uh, this episode started off with Eddie Kingston and Penta L Zero M versus the Young Bucks, and. This was this was just a treasure. The Young Bucks come out with mustaches. And Matt Jackson actually looks good with the mustache. He uh it, I actually thought it suited him really well. It is funny, but it suits him really well. Nick Jackson's mustache is an absolute monstrosity. It is just perfect. Um he is it's he's got the full Hulk Hogan uh, handlebar Fu Manchu going. It is just horrendous. Um, it makes them both look like porn stars. I thought that it really, it's really added to their character and to their, to their obnoxious heel bullshit they've got going on. It makes them even more punchable. I don't know how that's possible, but sweet shit. It was incredible. Um, I thought this match was an absolute blast. Um, I thought the Bucks were hitting on all cylinders. Eddie Kingston was an absolute treasure in this match, as always. And I thought he and Pentagon really, I think, meshed the best in this match than they have in any of their matches, whether it be triple threats or what have you. Um, I thought they were fantastic in this I thought the uh, the Bucks seemed to have a little more life behind them as well. Matt, in particular, seemed a step quicker than he normal than he has been of late. I thought he looked really good, especially he hit a running cannonball in the corner at one point, and I was like, "Oh my goodness, he's he's looking like uh, Taiji Ishimori out there. He was going so fast." Um, yeah, Kingston Kingston's fire up spot in this. Like he fires up like like nobody else can. 
he he does it like Ishii in New Japan, but he has he has this his own. He's like a folk hero. There, there's some. There's a weird quality to his uh, to his fire up spots, whether it's his facial expressions or his. I, I can't really explain it. There's just something about him that is just so endearing that when uh, when he fires up, you know he's getting his ass kicked. But he's like, if if you're gonna hit me, I'm gonna hit you three times, and it's it's so it's so endearing, um, and the fans absolutely buy into it. Um, he's like, he's just he's the everyman, and his uh his headbutt spot in the corner when he's when he's on top of Nick Jackson in the corner and he it's essentially he's doing the uh the the 10 the 10 fists in the corner but he's doing it with his head and he got to 10 and then he stopped and then he just like flipped a switch and did uh like eight more uh headbutts and like rapid fire before the ref could get in there to stop him um Penta had an amazing hot tag at one point. I thought it it highlighted with this ridiculous corkscrew code red that I've never seen. And this had Jericho popping out of his seat when he saw this. Um, he was screaming that, I've never seen that before. What the hell is that? And you know that when Jericho is popping for something and saying that, that it really means something. Because, again, he's been in this industry for, like what what was it? this is 30 years now that that's absolutely that's absolutely insane um that move got like a 2.999 to the point where like the fans actually thought it was a three and they were chanting that's a three that's a three that's a three and rick knox is holding up the two he's saying no it was only a two it was only a two it was so perfectly done the timing on that was beautiful um Penta got hit with a low blow, and and at this point, I was sure I was like, okay, this is how the Bucks win. They've got the low blow; they're gonna go for bang for your buck or something, or the Melter driver, and this is gonna be over. This led to uh, they they did the the package pile driver of the Lucha Brothers here, and I was like, oh, this is it. But Eddie, he came in, he dove in, he he broke it up, but I saw him at a in the, in the core of the ring, I did not think he had enough time and enough gas to get there. It was really well done. They really built up the drama there exceedingly well. Um, Eddie ate three super kicks at one point before going down. He, he got hit with the first one and just went rigid, like complete no sell. And then bam, bam, got hit with two more. He goes down. Um, Cutler comes up on the ramp. He tries to hit Penta with the cold spray. He ducks it. Matt Jackson ends up getting hit with the cold spray. <laughs> Brandon Cutler sells this so well with a like he he realizes that he's hitting with the cold spray, but he's froze. He's like, "Oh God, what am I doing?" Ah! And it is just just so the comedic uh, timing and his mannerisms are on point in this and he he gets down off the apron and then just gets depleted by frankie kazarian who's come out of nowhere who knows where he's hiding at this point he's like oscar the grouch just pops out of a garbage can 
lariat, knocks him out of his shoes. Um, then Nick Nick gets hit with the fear factor into the into the Urican, earning Eddie and Penta the title shot. They got the three count. I was not expecting this. I was shocked. I did not think they were going to pull the trigger on this, and I especially liked this because I've been thinking back, and I'm not sure there's. I'm not sure any title and eliminator match has actually resulted in a win and resulted in the title shot being granted. I don't think that's ever happened. It's maybe happened once, but um, most of those matches involved Kenny Omega, and he was not losing matches. So I don't think it didn't happen with him. And the only other people would be the Young Bucks, and I don't think that it has happened with them either. So this is very cool. I like this a lot. Um, They have built up a long history and a precedent of these eliminator matches not guaranteeing these title shots. So this was, uh, I thought this was really cool to see. And I thought they pulled the trigger on the right team. And I really liked that it was uh, Eddie and Pentagon specifically because the young bucks took out the, the, the tag partners of their two respective teams. And they were the lone guys left on uh from each team from each team and they had to come together to to beat the bucks and i think it's uh really poetic um okay so next we had christian and jungle boy and they were having their their backstage and they are they're talking about jungle boy's match and christian's telling jungle boy how proud he is how proud we all are how he he really laid it on the line and that loss really showed that he belongs in the main event scene. Um, he says that Jungle Boy can take something from this loss and become better. That's uh, that's Christian's mantra, is that with each loss, you learn something. And with each vi- victory, you learn something from your opponent. And he says that Jungle Boy took Kenny to the limit, and one day he will be champion. That is... That's an all but a guarantee at this point in Christian's mind. And this whole time, I I don't buy a fucking word that Christian is saying here. I don't believe for a second that he's not angling f- to, uh, to turn on Jungle Boy. And I believe that uh, he was almost even just supporting him because he thought that Jungle Boy had a decent chance of beating Kenny Omega. But Christian probably also saw that he had a better chance of beating Jungle Boy than he did of beating Kenny. So he was supporting him to to try and push him over that edge. So I really like this angle. I still think he's going to turn on Jungle Boy probably in a month or two. And I think it's going to be really good. We all see it coming. Or maybe not all of us, but I see it coming. Um, And uh, it's going to be really good. Because uh, we've seen a lot of people who are the protégés turning on the father figure, not the father figure turning on the protégé. So this is a new twist on this in AEW. Um, 
then we see Luchasaurus and Marco Stunt enter the scene, and Luchasaurus tells uh, Christian that he is appreciative of him having Jungle Boy's back while they've been away, and that he showed a lot of loyalty, and if there's anything that means a lot to Luchasaurus, it's loyalty. So he says, we have your back going forward. And Christian says, hey, you know what? That's really cool. Um, also, I'm a one-quarter uh, Cosmoceratops on my mom's side as he walks away. And Luchasaur goes, oh, really? That's really cool. I actually, it's like, does she know my Uncle Larry? <laughs> like as, they're, as they're walking away. And I, I pop for that. It's really cute. Um, I really like the, uh, there's been a couple times when Luchasaurus has done that. He did it with leading into the match with Bear Country. A month or so ago that was very funny as well he's got really good comedic timing um luchasaurus and uh, i appreciate it he's probably i think he probably has some incredible promos that we haven't seen from him yet and i'm really excited to see those going forward okay so then we have an ethan page promo or angle like this is kind of cool i liked it it was it wasn't quite apparent why they did this. I'll get into um, the reason why I think this is. So anyways, so Ethan Page, he's in the ring. He's with uh, he's with Scorpio Sky, and he's talking about how he's tried his whole career to cripple Darby Allen. He's hit him with with shovels. He's broken his arm. He's thrown him downstairs. He's thrown him into the crowd. He's beaten him in a handicap match. And Darby Allen, no matter how badly he breaks his body, he keeps getting up. So he's like, well, this isn't how I'm going to beat you. So how I'm going to beat you is I'm going to cripple your mind. And I'm going to cripple your mind with the casket match because you, you, or with the, with the coffin match, because you love coffins so much. I'm going to put you in one. And you know, Okay, this is cool. We've we've heard this bit from Ethan Page before. This bring but this brings out Sting and Darby. Sting comes out and he's pulling along an old timey casket. And of course, out pops Darby. He runs to the ring, he attacks Ethan Page. Sting comes behind Scorpio Sky, hits him with a Scorpion Death Drop, which is I always love a Scorpion Death Drop on Scorpio Sky. I love the alliteration there. It's very cool. Um and Darby, he's got these acrylic, these long acrylic nails on, which are so gross. There's one weird tick that I have that I can't stand long nails. So this was revolting to me. It's just like a weird, I don't know. It's not, it's not a rational thing, but just long nails just give me the skeevies. And so I was squirming, but he's digging at Ethan Page's eyes with these nails. And Ethan Page, he's still on the mic, so he's screaming into the mic at this point, which was pretty cool. And he gets away, and he starts screaming into the mic. He's like, he's like, no, that this is not okay. We are not having this match. The match is no longer happening, at least next week. The match is no longer happening. And then... He says, "You know what? In in two weeks, we can have the we can have the match at at Fighter Fest instead. And that's if you don't touch me next week because I'm I'm not a hundred percent now." And I was like, "That's a weird way of getting to this spot," but 
from doing some digging and doing some reading. Um, this looks like it's a way of not doing a coffin match in Miami where they just had a major fatal disaster. Um, like a tragedy just, just happened in Miami um, recently. So this is a way of getting away from that because the optics are not good to be running a casket match or running a coffin match there right now. So it seemed a little ham-fisted at first, but I was like, okay, no, this makes sense. They just have to come up with any reason to get away from it. It's cool. And I actually did quite like the angle and the the long fingernails on Darby Allen were cool, despite giving me the absolute fucking creeps. Okay. Now we have the next the next match we have. Jungle Boy versus Jack Evans. And this match was good, if not spectacular. It was it was all kind of it was a three-star match, really. Like it was it was well worked, but it was short. Most of it took place during the commercial break. Um it really just served to get Jungle Boy back in front of the fans. Um I was I was actually quite impressed with Jack Evans' physique. In this specific, I mean, I w- might not have noticed it normally, but Jericho pointed out that Jack Evans has put on considerable muscle, and I noticed it. I'm wondering if, oh, maybe as Jack Evans is getting a little older, he realizes he needs to work on his body a little bit more to keep him healthy. I don't know. It, it's interesting because he's a smaller, high flying type guy, so normally bulking up like that isn't the uh, isn't the go to. But I was. I was interested with that. And yeah, this match, it really, it allowed us to kind of see Jungle Boy a level ahead of the high-flying mid card that he was at previously. That he's a he's in the main event now. He's way ahead of these guys. He dispatched Jack Evans easily. And this is a guy that he would have been going toe-to-toe with Evans in the past, I believe. Uh, Jurassic Express has faced TH2 before and had lengthy matches against them. So this was a uh, this was something. And then, yeah, so Jungle Boy he beat him with the snare trap, which was cool. Um, then we had HFO. They come out, they attack. Um, they attack Jungle Boy, but Christian's able to come out he's able to fight them off um he's able to fight off jack evans he's fighting matt hardy and he's he's trying to choke matt hardy out with his with his uh suit jacket which was pretty cool i like that um jurassic express is out there as well fighting off uh private party i thought this was good a little unnecessary i think overall this match (sighs) Probably would have been suited giving this time to the women, I would think, considering that, uh, I mean, I'll get to the to the other match later, but it was also a waste of time. Um, I think that um, AEW has taken a few steps back in with their women division since they've put the belt on Britt Baker, which is shocking, to say the least, um, considering it looked like this was going to be their women's revolution or in their 
anyways, moving on. Okay, so next we had a MJF promo, and I thought this was this was really good. This was MJF was on his game as he as he always is at this point with his promos. Um, he talks about how he outsmarted Jericho only to only to create the um, a, a faction of his own. He out wrestled Jericho at full gear and blood and guts. MJF has outclassed Jericho every step of the way since the two have crossed paths in AEW. He says that there's no shame in knowing when to walk away once you've been bested, and he really hopes that Chris Jericho will will do that. We we've seen so many wrestlers over the years not know when to step away, and he's kind of tapping into that in this promo. Um, MJF runs down all the times when Jericho has attacked him in the pinnacle. Um, he's attacked him in interviews. He's attacked him in, in the ring. He's attacked him backstage. Uh, he talks about the bub- the bubbly bath, the limo destruction. He's like, all this is, this is Looney Tunes shit. This is you sort of tapping into your WWE chicanery to, to get it. MJF knowing that he can't just beat him in a fight. Um MJF then announces that he'll be that he'll be reaching back into his bag of tricks um to get one over on Jericho and he announces that next week at Road Rager he is going to be giving Chris Jericho a list of stipulations. I believe he says three stipulations again. And if we remember, this is exactly what he did with Cody Rhodes, where he gave Cody Rhodes the ultimatum, where you have to go through the three trials of Cody Rhodes before you can get your match. And it looks like he's going to that, to that well one more time to, uh, to pull one over on Chris Jericho. And, I'm actually, this was, that was probably way back then before revolution, uh, two years ago or whatever it was at this point, that was probably MJF at his very, very best. So I am, I'm kind of excited to, uh, to see what he's going to do to try and outdo what he did then, because what he did then was shocking. We had the lashings of Cody Rhodes. We had the cage match with Wardlow, which was amazing. Um, and he couldn't touch him. I imagine we're probably going to get the he can't touch him scenario again. But he's he's going to have to outdo himself. Otherwise, it's going to look like a, a rehash of his previous stuff. Which, if we think about the uh, MGF versus Chris Jericho thing... They have done a few rehashes, whether it be the Stadium Stampede or the Bubbly Bath. Those are both rehashes of either AEW stuff or WWE stuff. So I hope they don't retread too much. But I think they are going to try and pull out all the stops here. Um, I'm hoping, a little scared, but I'm hopeful. At the very least, it's intriguing. Um, it definitely has me. I mean, I've never missed an AEW, but it has me wanting to watch. I'm going to be on the edge of my seat, waiting to hear what MJF has to say. And then MJF he starts addressing Sammy. Um, 
he says that the fans have been begging for this match between MJF and Sammy since they both arrived in AEW. And they say that's, he says that's because people want to know who's the future of wrestling, who's the future of AEW. Um, he says that, he says that he does believe that Sammy is the future of the company, but that's because MJF is the present. And I thought this was awesome. It was simple. It was a way to, it really built my anticipation for this match tonight. Um, I thought it was a little funny that he focused on Sammy only at the very end there, but uh, I think that it shows the importance that they're putting on this MJF and Chris Jericho match. Who knows when we're going to get that? Um, I would assume it at all out, um, but we will we'll have to see because that is a ways away. It's what two months at this point. But yeah, that's uh. But we have a we have a long time to go there, and who knows um what additional specials we're gonna have, and they could even do that match in New York. That would be a huge Queens New York match to have at Arthur Ashe Stadium. They could do it there, um, and then yeah, because they kind of sometimes they they'll have like a not the. Sometimes they'll start the pay-per-view build halfway to the pay-per-view, like half half the time, half the distance. You know what I'm trying to say. Okay, so next, the next segment we had Andrade. And we have Andrade, he's in the back, he's in a beautiful white suit. He is... He's looking like a million bucks. Um, he... He's actually talking to Alex Abrahantis here, which is nice. I thought I think he's a really good person to be the interviewer for Andrade. He says that yes, last week he had a very special announcement, but he was interrupted by Matt Matt uh, Matt something. What was it, Matt something? And and uh, Alex Abrahantis says. Oh, is Matt Seidel? He goes, yes, 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 Matt something. Um, then Andrade says, he, he, he'll, make a, he'll make an example of Matt something. And he says, he's like, think of it on the marquee. Matt something versus Andrade El Idolo in Miami, in the city of heat, the city of Latinos, the city of Scarface. I was like, oh, fuck, this is amazing. I had not thought of the connection to Andrade and to Latinos in general with Miami. This is this is fantastic. I I had been thinking all about the New York matches and all about the North Carolina matches and the Texas matches with all the Texas-born wrestlers including Sammy Guevara. Um but I had not been thinking of all the Latino wrestlers that we have in AEW. We have a considerable amount, so this, I think, is huge. And I think it's a really good way to continue to sell tickets for the Miami show, which there are still some tickets left. So this is, I, think, I think this is really good. This is smart. Um, I think uh, Matt Seidel is a really good first opponent for him because... Matt Seidel can make you look really good, and he does not need to win a match. Um, he's also ranked in the top five, which it's amazing. Every time somebody gets 
a match, all of a sudden they're in the top five. I really like that. And they, they do that with, with the ranking. They, uh, Tony Khan, he's really thinking about this stuff. He's like, Oh, we need this guy to get up there. So the previous week he'll have Matt Seidel have a big win over Dante. He'll have a win on elevation. He'll have a win on a W dark. And then all of a sudden they're, they're up in the rankings to get the big match. It's, it's very shrewd. He's very good at this. He's playing, uh, he's playing 40 chess with this ranking system or at the very least with the, with wins and losses, maybe not necessarily the ranking system at all times, but um, it's cool, and I like it. All right. So next we have a Kenny promo segment, and I thought this was the best promo Kenny's done on AW television. Or on an AW... I guess he had that one Road 2 promo that he was aiming at Pac. But no, he was aiming at... Um, He's aiming at Moxley when Moxley got hurt with the staph infection. Um, That was really good. But that wasn't on TV. That wasn't in the ring. At that point, AEW wasn't even really doing promos. This promo segment by Kenny was absolutely pitch perfect. It was incredible. Down to the finest detail. So Kenny comes out to the ring. And like the Bucks, he's got some new facial hair. He's gone full handlebar mustache with the mutton chops. It is amazing. And from doing some looking on the internet, I mean, he looks like Lemmy. Yes, totally. But he looks like um, Triple H. This is 1000% a dig at Triple H. And I loved it because Triple H is somebody that has done physical gags where he's dressed up in prosthetics and what have you and wigs to make fun of other people. So I thought this was just the fucking tits. I thought this was awesome. Um, I heard it was, it might be a fake facial hair, but I, I don't think so. It looked real to me. Um, yeah, this was Kenny's best promo in AW. He's out there. He says, he says, He's out here to ask the question that Tony Khan asked him this morning. And it's, how does he keep getting up every day to feel to feel motivated? And Tony brilliantly replies with a look, a look on his face and a shaking of his head. And he says, uh, Kenny, I didn't ask you anything, which is awesome. And Kenny, undeterred, he keeps going. He says, I woke up feeling like a king today because I've defeated the toughest guy, the greatest high flyer, the most charismatic act, the greatest athlete not named Kenny Omega. And not, and not only have I defeated all those guys, but now I've also defeated the most promising up and coming star in AEW jungle boy. And he says, now that there's nobody left in the locker room for me to face, I'm going to go on a well-earned vacation. I may even pop up in a in a couple other promotions with all these championships that I have. Um, I've, I have to defend them sometime. And then the Dark Order music hits. And out comes the Dark Order, led by Evil Uno, who I absolutely love in this role. And as their... He's, he's not their spokesman, but he's their talker. And it's funny because he's not imposing. But it's almost like he is 
it's almost like he's a professor or a teacher or like a like a guidance he's like the guidance counselor of the of the dark order um he comes out there and he says that he actually thinks that Kenny's wrong in his assertion that he has no qualified challengers and Kenny and Kenny mockingly says oh are you out, are you going to come tell me that uh, I'm supposed to face five are you going to send five after me he couldn't last 2 minutes in the ring with me and this is amazing because five is also known as Alan Angels who infamously went 10 minutes with Kenny um at the uh, at the nightmare factory at the beginning of the pandemic um that is that's amazing that's a really good callback um and i always love that everyone's just fucking dumping on poor five <laughs> he's always getting shit on even by his friends which is funny um kenny tells them to to pack up head back to catering there's there's nobody in your group that has the record to challenge him Uno agrees, but he coyly tells Kenny that actually, you and I both know that there is uh, that there's someone else who can challenge you and who does have the record and the qualifications to face you, and you and I both know who that person is. Um, he says that he's somebody that we have befriended and somebody that in the past you were once friends with as well, and. This is he says, and this person is the number one ranked wrestler in AEW. And Evil Uno does not need to say his name, and the crowd is smart enough. They start chanting Hangman's name. They're chanting Hangman, Hangman. They're chanting Cowboy shit, Cowboy shit. Like this is pitch perfect crowd manipulation at this point. Letting the crowd, like leaving a bit of breathing room for the crowd to fill in the dots to fill in those to fill in those lines it's really well done um this segment really gave it room to breathe and and kenny ends this segment by saying that saying that you know what he's like if this is the person that i think you're talking about he would not like you speaking for him. He would. He also does not have the guts to come after me. He also does not. He doesn't even think that he deserves to hold the AEW championship, and he holds it aloft. And then he slowly walks right through the inner circle, right between Silver and Reynolds, who looks so pissed. And then it cuts to commercial, and I thought this was this was just the best. Um, I thought everyone here killed it, Evil Uno included. I thought he's he's such an underrated talker, and there are some times when his voice goes really high to make him sound less of a threat. And in here, I thought that he was super composed and made him sound um, super respectable like he's somebody that you should be listening to like kenny has met his intellectual match if that makes sense okay so on to another really really great segment and match this was miro versus pillman jr brian brian pillman jr he comes out 
uh, flanked by Julia Hart and Griff Garrison. He takes off his jacket. He puts it on Julia. He takes off his glasses. He puts it on Julia. He ruffles her hair. He gives Griff Garrison a hug. And then he runs down to the ring in his promised Prince gear, um, which is which is notable. He wasn't wearing the Varsity Blondes gear, which I don't think is because he's breaking up with the Varsity Blondes at all. I just think this is a singles match. So he wore his singles gear, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, then Miro's music hits. And right away, we um, you notice that this is not the best man music. This is new music. It's got epic war horns. It's got big booming drums. It sounds like an ancient war song. Like it's something that you would hear in like the 300 movie or in Gladiator or something like that. I was like, oh my God. And then I look up on screen on the, on the big screen and it says, instead of the best man, it says the redeemer. So they have, uh, they have shrewdly changed Miro's gimmick from the best man, which was not working. It never worked to the redeemer, which he's essentially a religious warrior. Um, he's a, he's a crusader, which has some fucking implications. Um, and it is, it is the, the greatest thing. There were a lot of the greatest things on this episode, but this is the greatest thing. Um, he looked fantastic. He he's the music is perfect for him. He comes out there, and for the most part, he just destroys Pillman. For I think the match was probably around ten minutes, ten or twelve minutes. He was working over Pillman for most of it. Um, Pillman did get in a really nice hope spot where he hit the a Jericho springboard drop kick, which Jericho popped for. He's like, I know that move. I made that one famous, which was cool. Um, then he hit a missile drop kick through the ropes to the floor, which did not go as planned, but it looked really cool. Like he myth and he normally grabs onto the rope there, but he didn't. So it looked like he was going for broke on this one. Like he just launched himself at Miro, which was awesome. He went up for a big, um, springboard clothesline which is one of his which is one of his moves which he does with griff garrison where they do the doomsday device version of it um but he uh, it, it didn't go so well for the plucky upstart after after this point because miro he beats him down he locks him in the game over and he just snaps that poor boy in half um and afterwards Miro is posing on his knees, holding his, holding his belt, looking up to the heavens while his horns and big war drums are playing in the background. And I think they even might've shone a light down on him. Like the heavens had opened up for him. It was just, it's something else. And it is, it's a hell of a fucking swing. Um, it's really cool. I, I do appreciate that they are showing the um, heavily religious character in a negative light. I think that's interesting. Not that I think religion is bad, um, but just that they have shown they have pushed the Cody as the religious American 
pro-American nationalist on as a face on one side, and here they have Miro as the uh, as the religious heel on the other side. So I think okay, they're willing to show both sides of the same coin. That's a uh, that's a good sign that they're willing to do that. That they are able to read the room a little bit and show that they can see both sides of that uh of that type of character and i like to see that um i i'm i am thanking the heavens and thanking god that they are allowing miro to destroy the aw locker room this is amazing i'm just joking i am uh I I don't believe in God, so just <laughs> um, I don't actually believe that. But this this is so fucking cool. I love it. Um, yeah. So next we had Hangman and the Dark Order um, sort of reconvening after the Dark Order went for bat went to bat for him with Kenny Omega, and Hangman is not happy. He's furious. He comes running into the bar, not running, but he's stomping into the bar, holding a drink. He's drinking. Um, and he tells them that he did not like them, uh, essentially declaring him as challenger for, for the AW championship against Kenny Omega. And they all take turns, uh, talking to hangman and saying, Hey man, we're doing this for you. We understand that you're scared. You could have come out there and stopped us from doing this. They essentially give him the most heartwarming after-school special pep talk. And it's amazing. I I love this. Like, it's all, gee whiz, Adam, you, you just have to believe in yourself. Win or, win or lose, you're the same Adam Page to us. Like, it is, it is so innocent and heartwarming, but also cheesy. But that's that's kind of the... That's very much the appeal here. Like it's really precious, and it's a uh, yeah. It's like he's found his island of misfit toys, and they're supporting him. And it's uh, it's really nice. Um, like it, it's so wonderful to see the story that has been playing out since literally the very first rally that they where they revealed. AEW in the Daily's Place parking lot. It was it was there that they essentially that Hangman pushed himself, put himself in the position as or to be the the first AEW champion, and then they pushed him towards that first AEW uh, championship match, which was he was originally supposed to face Pack, but like he ended up getting to the match with Jericho and he lost and. He's been suffering for that loss ever since. He's had a crisis of conscience, or a crisis of confidence, sorry. And he's had imposter syndrome ever since. Um, he And this is, this is two years now, over two years. And he's tried to hide behind his tag team with Kenny. He's tried to hide behind his drinking. He's tried to hide behind, like, he's lost matches that he should have won so that he doesn't have to face Kenny. He won't answer questions. Um, and this is all about his lovable losers being the emotional support that he needed to, to push him to fulfill his potential and to con 
to conquer the crippling fear of failure that he has. And this is this is probably this is the longest storyline I've ever seen in wrestling. It's been going for over two years now, and it is the best thing in professional wrestling right now. And it shows because it's resonated so much with the fans. When Hangman first came out, he was as cold as anything. Like nobody wanted him to be champion. And they have used that to create a long-term story that is going to absolutely tear the roof off when this happens or blow the roof off when the, when he wins the belt and it's going to be amazing. And I don't think it's even a guarantee that his first match against Kenny Omega will result in a win. They might do the Kenny versus Okada storyline with hangman, which is he loses the first match. He, he goes to the time limit draw the second match. It's only in the third match that he wins. It's uh, it's very interesting to see where they go here. I wonder how long they'll keep this going. I don't think they should go too long because as much as I love the long-term storylines in, in AEW, at least for the, for the, uh, for the top, for the top championship, what it does is it makes it so that you know that no one else is beating the champion in between those big um, title changes where we knew it was going from Jericho to Moxley to Kenny to Hangman and then probably to MJF. And beyond that, who knows? But those, uh, you know that those are the those are essentially the chapters and there's not going to be any title changes in between. So it's really a double edged sword there. Um, So when people say that these these title matches don't have any weight for me because I know who's going to win the match, there's merit there. So I think they do have to watch that a little bit. So maybe um, don't make the hangman loss too predictable not that I think that will be predictable. I think people will lose their mind if uh, if Hangman loses. Um, but it'll it'll be interesting. I'm uh, I'm really excited to uh, to see how that play how see how that plays out. Okay, so now we have Team Taz, and this is Taz in his little in his little area where he films all his promos. Um, he is with he's flanked by Hook and Hobbs which I think is such a cool tag name. I really want to see Hook and Hobbs together. That's awesome. Big and Smalls. Um, he's saying that, yes, he understands that his his family's having troubles. He assures everybody that it's just the usual family squabbles. And sometimes in a family, you just got to let people fight it out so that they can uh, work out their their issues. Like, like fight the shit out. Like, uh come to blows and then we'll be better for it. He proposes that in, uh, in one of their, um, what is it? One of their shows that they're doing in Texas, it is going to be cage versus a fully healed Ricky Starks. Um, this is really exciting news. Um, it's going to be for the FTW title. I'm so excited to hear that Ricky Starks is uh is fully healed. That is fantastic news. I thought that he was moving around really well last week when 
Cage ripped off his suit and then he ran away holding his neck. I thought that they wouldn't have done that had his neck been still injured. So that's really good to see. Um, and Taz is like, <laughs> Taz is like, surely this will allow them to move past their differences. But he doesn't. He he doesn't believe that for a second. I don't think he even wants them to work out their differences. I think he's completely bullshitting this situation, and he just wants that FTW title off of Cage. And I think Cage is walking into a three on one, and I'm all fucking here for it, man. I think this is going to be fantastic. Um. I think this is going to lead to our first match of Hooks. I cannot wait for Hooks' first match. I'm telling you, he is he's that little guy in the suit in the Simpsons when they're doing that Yakuza mob fight outside with them with the with the Italian mafia and Homer's like, Oh, I can't leave. The little guy's going to do something. The little guy's going to do something. I can't leave. And then Homer leaves. And then you hear the sound of the little guy doing something really fucking cool. That's, that's hook. Hook's going to do something so cool. I just know he's a killer. I, I know it deep in my balls that hook is a killer. And I, I cannot wait for it. Whew, deep breath. Here we go. So the women's match for the night. Um, this was Nyla Rose and Vicky versus Britt Baker and Rebel. I can't mince words. This match sucked. I don't understand why they did it. There's no way around it. There was no reason for this match. It was ill-conceived when they have when they've been given when the women have been given such precious few minutes on each dynamite to get their matches in or get their one match in. Um, AEW did such a good job of bringing their women back to prominence through their women's tournament, through Britt Baker, through the match with Thunder Rosa, through the use of the Joshis, like, the best women's or the best matches in AEW for a month's time was all women. Like from January until for like three months, like AEW's women's division was aces. And since they put the belt on Britt Baker, which should have been their launching of the AEW women's revolution, their own women's revolution, the, the evolution of DMD, They've shit the bed, and I don't get it. Um, it doesn't really make any sense. I mean, I get that they, it's sort of like everything has, the past three weeks has been kind of, not these two weeks, but the previous three weeks with the Friday shows and this, not the Saturday show, but the th- the uh, Friday 10 o'clock shows, they were, they were the shits, man. Like, I mean, they weren't bad, but it's like you could tell that they were coasting and they were really coasting with the women's division. Uh, Britt Baker didn't have a match. Her feud is about hamburgers. Her she's wrestling Vicky Guerrero. Um, At least Nyla Rose, I do think, is a worthy challenger, especially considering Nyla Rose did breed bit did breed. Ugh, speak did beat Britt Baker. Wow, 
that is that's a tongue twister in the uh in the women's tournament she did beat her so she has earned this title shot in my opinion just for that alone that's a new japan thing within a tournament if the if the champion loses um or the eventual champion loses in the tournament the person who beats them has earned their right to challenge for that title i know not everybody likes that but when done sparingly and respectfully i think that works well um so i have no problem with nyla rose being the uh person baker's going up against i just thought that this match was just not good um it did start out with uh vicky guerrero getting popped with an elbow a really nice elbow by uh Britt baker right away which i popped for the problem was that vicky guerrero stood right back up smiling afterwards when i was like why are you no selling that this is ridiculous i mean obviously she's not a wrestler and that's why you don't put them in this situation um we had nyla rose essentially wrestling a handicap match um and not really a good one because Britt baker was being the cowardly heel face i can't really tell anymore um outside the ring not wanting to tag in for reba so reba is just getting destroyed um Eventually, Britt Baker was able to lock in the lockjaw on Vicky Guerrero, who taps out and then immediately no-sells again against probably the most protected submission hold in AW. She just stands right back up and just starts yelling and complaining that she lost the match. And then... Eventually, Nyla Rose, this was cool. Nyla Rose was able to pick up Britt Baker and powerbomb her through a table on the outside. That's cool, but you didn't have to have this match to get there. I don't understand. There are better ways of doing this, especially when you have such an incredible division of women's wrestlers who are just sitting in the crowd or in catering or wherever they sit when they're not being used. I don't know. Um. It's very strange. Um and it's it was this was doubly bad because the fans, including me, had um had thought that okay, well there's something up with this match. There's no way they're putting they're actually putting Vicky Guerrero in this match. And when you combine that with Vicky and Andrade saying Andrade Andrade saying that they had a special announcement and with Tia Trinidad doing the uh doing the little reactions to what Andrade and and Vicky were saying online, it led everybody to speculate and it snowballed that Tia was gonna come in and take her spot in this match, which honestly, if they have Tia lined up, she fucking should have taken her spot. Or just anybody. I don't know. Just this match just shouldn't have been booked. You had two non-wrestlers in a match. And I don't want to say that's the result that this happened. But one of those non-wrestlers dislocated her knee. Um, So that happened. Um, Reba dislocated her knee, breaking up a pin in this match. Um, Apparently she's okay now and she's recovering. But... Would that have happened if they had more experienced people in the match? 
was it worth the risk putting these inexperienced people in this match? I don't think so. Um, anyways, I don't want to, I don't like getting too negative, and especially with such a fantastic episode of AW, I would just like to move on to something great. So I'm going to. All right, so the next segment we had an inner circle promo. And this here we had Hager alongside Santana and Ortiz. And once again, I know Brad's not a big fan of Hager talking, but Brad's not here, so I will talk. I like when we get to see dim Jake Hager, like screaming Jake Hager, like punching walls and just being just being kind of a dummy. And I find that amusing. I think he's uh he's good as the dim-witted heavy of the group. He's I think it's very funny. Um I think when they keep him to that role, he he gets a good reaction out of me. And I'm not a Jake Hager fan, but I think he serves that purpose quite well. Um now we have Santana. He cracks off another great promo as always saying that they're going to have a great match with FTR and he knows that they're going to have to get a little dirty with their tactics against them because FDR is playing dirty. They're, they're not against getting dirty themselves. Um, I think what's the, his company is what born dirty or some, something like that. Anyways, I think it ties into his branding. Then uh, Santana, he loves the idea that FDR can bring it in a scrap. It makes it makes it all feel worthwhile when they when they finally go to war. They just uh, they they they're begging FTR to bring their best when they meet in Miami next week in a triple threat. Um, it'll be Hager, Santana Ortiz versus FTR and Wardlow. That's who it is, and Wardlow, and that that's gonna be a fucking absolute banger of a match and they say that they're Santana Ortiz are bringing along backup they're bringing Conan because FTR loves to get um their little weasel Tully involved in all their matchups so they're bringing they're bringing the K-Dog along to to watch the back and I can't wait I love anything involving Conan I'm a big Conan mark um he he showed a lot taking that bump last week um yeah i hope he is involved going forward and it looks like he will be so that's awesome okay and here we are at the main event this match was in fucking credible it's not one of my it's in my probably in my top 10 matches for aw this year it probably wouldn't be in my top five but when I say this match was incredible, this match was incredible because of the ridiculous spots they did that I have not seen in a major company ever. So I was, uh, I absolutely loved this match. They absolutely killed it. Um, these guys went out there and gave Jacksonville, gave the Jacksonville crowd one hell of a reward for all the support that they've showed them for the past uh year and a half or however long that they've been allowed to be in the stands um mjf cut a pro <laughs> i don't know who 
for the people that watched the uh, the Fight TV feed, MJF cut a promo on the on the crowd during the commercial break, where he's standing in the ring and he called the fans fat pieces of shit. He said that the locker room is so glad that the fans are back, but quite honestly, he misses the pandemic. And I was like, oh shit, MJF going for that fucking nuclear heat with the crowd, which is awesome because you know as soon as the the cameras kick back in from the from the commercial break the crowds are going to be booing and that that's an old school chris jericho trick is to while it's in commercial break just start insulting the crowd like crazy so that when it comes back they're booing you and throwing shit at you so he's learned from the best there and i i really appreciated that um this match started it was an absolute dick measuring contest to start and it was uh it was pretty funny so they have these two guys they're flipping around doing their chain wrestling and trying to out wrestle each other like it's not it doesn't start off in a blood feud they're not throwing punches they they aren't throwing kicks they're trying to out wrestle each other which is funny you got mjf doing flips trying to trying to prove that he's he's the more athletic wrestler between him and sammy which I love MJF. Uh, he does this stuff despite himself. Um, then we got the we got that like indie roll up spot where they they go to do the roll up and they get the multiple two counts rolling back and forth. Um, and then once these guys got going, they really got going and pulled out all the stops. Some of the highlights for me were uh, Sammy's double springboard cutter which was phenomenal. He he is so clean with that. Um he did a top rope uh I think a flipping dive in off the top rope into the crowd over the barricade where MJF was. And once again, I said this last week when uh I think it was Kenny dumped Jungle Boy into the crowd. I can't emphasize how cool it is to see these moves being done into the crowd on a on a major televised promotion. Like this is the stuff you for the most part only see in the indies. So it's really cool to see it uh leaking into AEW. Um I love that and I think it uh it's not something that mainstream audiences have seen before. So I uh, super cool. I love to see it. Um we didn't see it before the pandemic with AEW, and we saw it during when we had the wrestlers in the crowd because they could take the bumps and they could be safe. But they're doing it with fans out there, so that that was really cool and interesting to see. Um, and the spot that most people are going to be talking about with this match was a second rope tombstone by MJF, and I I just let out a fucking holy shit when this happened i've never seen that in my life like and when it when it's happening i'm like oh god please don't die sammy please don't die and sammy sold it like a million bucks mjf sold it like a million bucks and the reason why i was fine with this move not getting a pin which it should normally like a tombstone on its own should result in a in a three count um uh off the second rope should absolutely result in a three count um the difference here is that 
MJF, when he came down on his knee, he sold that knee injury like death in kayfabe. And it completely uh, influenced the whole rest of the match. He went to do the pin, but he was also holding his his knee with his other hand so he didn't have the leverage and and Sammy was able to roll out of the pin. I'm totally fine with that because it basically wasn't a pin and MJF was hurt. It made perfect sense to me. And it and even after the match, MJF w- still could not put any weight on that leg. So I'm 1000% okay with that. I thought it was really cool. Um, yeah, Sammy, he went to hit... He eventually hit a GTH on uh, on MJF, and he knocked MJF out. He he rolled him up. He was getting the three count, but because he had too much leverage on the pin, he rolled MJF back just too much, and his foot touched the rope. So the ref, by the rules, had to stop that count. And I thought that was amazing. He had the match won. MJF did not kick out of that. That was I thought that was really cool. And Sammy went up. He goes to hit the 630 senton off the top rope. And MJF is propped up on one arm, begging him off to not hit it. And Sammy just is just like, fuck you, buddy. He hits that 630 onto the propped up MJF, which was a brutal angle to get hit with that move. Luckily, he hit him on his legs, which is actually kind of cool because, again, we just established MJF is on the hurt wheel right now his his knee is fucked in kayfabe so hitting that senton on the knees is probably worse um but mjf kicks out of the pin and i here's where i understand people's complaints the 630 is is um sammy's finisher so really you don't like to have people kicking out of finishers uh, very often or at all i understand at all but i think in big matches on the grandest scale which on the on the grandest stage which this kind of is being the last daily's place match um i think it's not out of the realm of possibility to see somebody power up and and persevere and kick out of a big move you will see that in big championship matches you will see that in matches that matter they'll kick out of a finisher or two i don't think it's uh i don't think it should be that odd it should be significant like you shouldn't see it often and when it happens it means a lot and i thought this meant a lot um with that kick out sean spears then comes down the ramp this brings Jericho off of commentary. I forgot to mention Jericho's been on commentary this whole show, which was which has been good. I enjoyed it. Um, he comes running along the stage in front of the fans on the on the on the bleacher area, which I thought was cool. But before he can get to uh, Sean Spears, he gets attacked by from behind by Wardlow, and Wardlow hits his ribs off the off the barricade on the stage, and then he throws a he gets the attention of the ref he's yelling at the ref he's like ref ref he gets his attention and he throws jericho on the ground jericho's writhing in pain the ref is understandably distracted he's uh checking to see if jericho's okay and sean spears gets up on the apron he's got the chair and he whacks sammy in the head 
with the protected chair shot. Sammy goes down. And MJF, he slowly crawls over, puts one arm over Sammy, and gets the one, two, three. And then MJF is celebrating. Um, He's being helped around the ring, though. He's still hobbling. He still cannot put weight on his leg. They lifted him up onto the top rope to celebrate, to to gloat with the fans. Um, I thought this was uh, really good, and I thought it was a a really fitting end to uh, AW's extended stay at Daly's place. I thought it was, I thought it was really awesome. Um, I thought it was, it felt big time. It felt like a, a match they did not need to give us. That was a pay-per-view match. They gave us a pay-per-view match. They went about 20 to 25 minutes, um, maybe even 30 minutes. Like it, it was a long one. Um, I think probably the se- the second or third third longest match in AEW history behind maybe the the Iron Man match and and Kenny's match with uh with Mox um yeah I thought uh, thought they uh thought they killed it out there and then we had about 5 minutes left and I was like oh they must have some big angle coming they didn't have a big angle. What AEW had planned for the final few minutes of the telecast was really wonderful. They rolled a video of some of the more memorable and moving moments of the past year and a half at Daly's place. And uh, I thought it was, it was really incredible to look back at all the um, at all that AEW has accomplished since the pandemic began. Like it, it's kind of, it's really shocking when you when you think about it. They've been at Daly's place for longer than they were ever on the road. Most of like the company is intrinsically tied to this building now and to this city. Um, AW was able to really excel and grow in in ways that should have been unthinkable for a new company in such an unprecedented and sca- in such unprecedented and scary times like that that most companies would have gone under in the scenario that AEW was in. And AEW gave us some truly iconic moments. And I believe that when looking back on this year's, we'll look back on it with, uh, with a lot of fondness. I know I will. Um, there is, there's certainly, there will, over time, uh, this era of this year and a half will certainly be written and discussed. It's going to be discussed for decades to come, honestly, like uh, they will, they'll look back on this time as one of the more interesting times in wrestling. And I've watched this video countless times. I keep clicking on it. When, whenever I'm scrolling through Twitter, it keeps coming up and I keep clicking on it and I keep watching it all the way through. And I'm just, I'm just in awe that of everything that happened and I'm also left with a with a deep sadness when I think of the brief and powerful impact that Brody Lee had on this company. Um I just wish that he was able to do his thing in front of fans. And uh I yeah, I'll I'll, I'll leave it there. Okay, so um thinking about next week's episode, looking at this card, we 
It's a really interesting and stacked card. Um, this is for Road Rager in Miami, the first road show after Daly's Place. And the first show on this, or the first match on this card that I see is Cody Rhodes versus QT Marshall in the, in the Miami Strat match. And I can't fucking wait for this match. Um, I can't, ra- can't wait for Cody on the road. Um, I hope that he gets out of his his own like little universe that he has. Um, I hope that he can beat QT Marshall, and then this is he's done with this. Aside from maybe some cool stuff with Brock Anderson, I think there's there's some interesting storylines to be told there. But I really, I want to see Cody against other people, and I want to see more interesting storylines and I want to see Cody in the wrestler of the year category that he was for me in 2020, 2020 or, and I guess 2019, whatever the first year of AEW was, I don't know. Um, yeah, he was, he was my wrestler of the year that year and he has been a sore spot this year for AEW, honestly, since that time. Um, yeah, so I'm hoping that this is this is the type of match that he's that he excels in. So I'm hoping he can find that he can find what's missing um, uh, with this match and after this match. And then we have a really interesting match coming off of the fallout from last week, and that is the first ever mixed tag match. It'll be Chris Statlander and Orange Cassidy versus the Bunny and the Blade, and I think it's. Uh, it should be noted that it's called a mixed tag match, not a intergender tag match. So I don't think we're going to be seeing the Blade wrestle Chris Statlander or Cassidy wrestle the Bunny. I don't think that's going to be happening um, as much as I want it to, because I've seen like Chris Statlander's best matches that she's ever that she's ever had. They're all against men. I <laughs> I've watched those on the indies. They are fantastic. Um, she cut her teeth against men, um, and she can really go. Um, and I know that Orange Cassidy has wrestled women as well on the indies. I, I think that there is a place for that. I don't know that uh, network television is ready for it yet, but uh, we'll see down the road maybe. I know Kenny wants it. I know Kenny has the only ever official AEW match that was intergender on the cruise two years ago. I think it is at this point. Oh my God. Okay. Then we have Chris Jericho in the, in the face-to-face standoff with MJF. So this is where MJF is going to lay out his stipulations as he did with Cody Rhodes two years ago. And I'm, I'm really intrigued with this. I have a little bit of trepidation, as I said earlier, about how this is going to play out, if it's going to be too repetitious of the previous angle. But I think they're aware of those criticisms, and I don't think they'll fall into that trap. Okay, then we have the Inner Circle versus the Pinnacle, and that's the the trios match between Jake Hager, Santana Ortiz, and Wardlow and FTR. I think this is going to be awesome. Um we haven't we haven't seen Santana and Ortiz or FTR in a tag match 
either of those teams in a really long time. So I am really excited for that. I think um, Jake Hager is at his best in tag matches. I think he's quite good in tag matches. I think they should use him pretty much exclusively that way going forward. Um, and anytime Wardlow's in the ring, I am uh, I am at attention. This is this is going to be good, and we know that Conan and Tully are going to get involved, and that's going to be fun as hell. And then we have the in-ring debut of Andrade El Idolo against Matt Seidel. And as I said earlier, Matt Seidel is going to make Andrade look really good. Not that Andrade needs someone to make him look really good, but this is uh, this is somebody to allow him to have a really good first impression. As we saw just with Dante Martin and Matt Seidel last week, um, Matt Seidel is clean as fuck in the ring. He uh, He's super skilled. He is... He's a veteran. He knows how to work the crowd. The crowd's going to be extremely behind Andrade for this match, especially being in Miami. I, I'm really excited for this, um, more so than probably anything else on this card, because, I mean, it's fucking Andrade. Um, and he might come out with his, uh, with his announcement as well uh, after the match, or maybe... Maybe coming out with them will be Tia Trinidad. Who knows? Um, uh, this is this is this is cool. I'm I'm excited for this. Uh, all right. Um, I th- that is it. I hope that uh, this has been an hour and seventeen minutes. That's not too bad. Um, my throat is getting sore, so I will uh, I will bid you guys adieu. Um, please join us again next week. Please. Follow us on Twitter at WorkRate Podcast. Um, you can find us on there. We we are tweeting often. You can submit your questions to us there if you would like. We will read them on the air. We're happy to talk there as well. Um, Brad will be back next week. He's just in his end of the month at work, and that's really really hectic for him and he can't make the podcast but he said he's sorry and he'll be here next week and that will allow me to rest my voice a little bit because this is hard okay um hope you enjoyed the podcast see you then